Good evening. It's time for us to begin. If you all will find a place to sit, it would be great. Welcome to everyone. Special welcome to any visitors we might have. See, we have some repeating, recurring visitors. That's good. Uh, glad to have you with us. Uh, we have a couple of songs, and then we'll have a scripture reading and prayer by uh, Job Galloway, another song, and then Chris will uh, provide us with a lesson, and then we'll have another song of invitation, and then a closing song and prayer. Evan Williams will deliver that closing prayer. Let's stand. We're going to sing number 501, all three verses of O Worship the King. <clears throat> Next song is number 335. 335. Into the heart of Jesus. Sing one, two, and four in the, of this song. Don't know that I've heard us sing this here. Into the heart of Jesus, deeper and deeper I go. Looks like no, we've never sung this here before, have we? Let's move across the page. No, let's just move down to 336. Oh, you can't do that. 336, the one right below it if you grab your books. I don't feel like teaching a new song tonight. 336, is it for me, dear Savior? Is it for me, dear Savior, thy glory and thy rest? For me so weak and sinful, oh, shall I be so blessed? Oh, 
Down with me, please. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful day, for the opportunity to come here and to sing to you and to listen to your word and to talk to you in our prayers and, Father, to worship you as you would have us to do. Father, we draw strength and help from each other as we're here. We thank you for your concept of church, Christ's body, and the salvation that we have through him. Father, there's many things on our heart, a lot of things about our physical life. We have a lot of friends and a lot of family that are hurting, and we pray for them and ask that you would bless them and bless their families, bless the ones that are working with them and help them, Father, to get better. Father, we ask that you would be with our shut-ins and help us to keep them from getting lonely, help us to meet their needs. Father, we ask that you, you would be with our elders as they guide us, Father. Bless them with their decisions, bless them with, in their knowledge, and bless them, Father, that uh, the church here would grow. We ask, Father, that you be with our school children as they go back to school this, this time of year. Our college kids, I ask that you bless them. Help them, Father, to stay strong in you, to strong in their faith, and to be the examples they need to be to their people around them. Father, we ask that you would be with the leaders of our government. We're in situations that we shouldn't be in, Father, because they've made some wrong decisions, and we've allowed that, and we ask, Father, your help in getting our nation and our world back into a situation where we would be giving you the praise. Father, be with our soldiers, sailors, as they are overseas and away from their family, and bless them, and Keep them safe and help them to return home. Father, be with the ones in Hawaii and in Florida and anywhere, Father, that have national disasters and are causing death and, and suffering, loss of homes. Father, we ask that you would be with those people. Bless them and help us to help them in any way that we can. 
Father, we also ask that you would be with those areas that we need to better in our spiritual life. Help us, Father, with our evangelism. Help us with our spirituality. Help us with our faith. Father, strengthen our resolve. Help us to focus on you. Father, we appreciate your son so much. His blood is what makes us children of yours, and we appreciate that so much. Father, you have been so good to us. Your blessings more than we ha need or use, Father. But we ask that you would continue them, continue with our health, continue with the congregation here that we may get out in the community and, and spread your word. Father, thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. The reading tonight is taken from Colossians chapter 3. If you want to follow along, please turn to that now. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul here is telling us some of the ways we need to improve our spiritual life like we just prayed for. Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, treat the parts of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, <clears throat> and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also rid yourselves of all of them, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene speech from your mouth. Do not lie one to another since you stripped off the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created it, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Our song of invitation will be number 263, if you want to mark that, if you're using the uh, book, 263. And before the lesson, we'll stand and sing number 401, Living for Jesus. <clears throat>
When Hannah was little, little fall asleep to Shark Tank. Uh, maybe some of you guys have seen Shark Tank. Uh, it's a pretty simple concept. A bunch of millionaires sit on a board and somebody will come out and they'll throw out an idea. I've got this idea that might make you guys a little bit more money. Would you be willing to invest in it so that uh, we can get this off the ground? And so, hey guys, can you advance my slide? I've got a cool picture. Of all the sharks. I want to show everybody. Um, so they come in. They, there they are. Uh, these guys are interesting. Uh, any, anybody that excels in, in life or has done something that's remarkable, it's difficult to make a million dollars, right? It's really difficult to make a billion dollars. And so these, these people kind of interest me. Uh, I don't obviously agree with their theology or the way of life, what they go after, the goals, all this stuff. I think all that is, has been skewed, obviously, um, but their their mindsets intrigue me because they're different than everyone else. And so I, I kind of like thinking through and, and thinking about uh, this type of person. But three out of the five people on the board behind me retired in their 30s. It's kind of interesting, right? Uh Every one of the men, interestingly enough, retired in their 30s and then was so bored in their retirement uh, that they went back to work and made even more billions, right? 
Sometimes we get stir crazy, right? We, we, we are so involved with what we're doing. We're so focused on what we're doing that when we stop doing that, it, it, there's a void where all this activity used to be. And you see it in these guys' lives as you, as you start reading about them a little bit and you, you think, oh man, how much activity were these guys involved in? They were always doing something. These guys were, were people who burned the candle on both ends. They'd get up early, they'd stay up late, and there was so much activity in the middle here to fill their days with that when they stopped, it, it was a hard stop. And I'm like, well, what do I do now? And some of you have experienced that with your own retirement, right? What, am, what do I do now? There's only so many games of Yahtzee and Scrabble that I can play before I, I get a little bored. I understand that that may not be a problem for you. I know a lot of people enjoy their retirement. What, what I'm trying to say is with these guys, it was such a hard stop that they didn't know what to do. And so they went back to work. In Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, you find a lot of uh, folks in the Colossian church that have been doing and going after things so much that now that that's been put off, they don't know what to do. There's, there's been a void that's been opened in their lives. You see, they spent their life, they would burn the candle at both ends, waking up early and staying up late to make sure that they were comfortable, to make sure that they got what they wanted. And we resemble and recognize that, don't we? we? We see that in our own lives occasionally and sometimes more than occasionally that we take care of, our, of ourselves. And so these guys, the, our, our Colossian brethren, are in the exact same boat. They have been so busy taking care of themselves, of, of taking care of, number one, that now that that's over, there's been a void that's empty. It, it, there's, there's, there's nothing there to fill its place. Look back again at what Joe read for us this evening. And you see in, uh, in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Um, in verse 8, but now you must put them all away. He lists these things. Uh, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. He says, this, this, this is the old way. You crucified that guy, right? Do you remember the day that you decided that Jesus could treat you better than you could treat yourself? And so you agreed to allow him to be your master and that you would stop taking up the reins. That you would stop taking up the leadership that you weren't in control of your own life anymore. And you were handing that over to him now. Do you remember that day, Colossians? Because you, you died to all those things. The things that you were so focused on, the things that on Monday morning when you woke up and you went to work, you were excited to go there because you were going to make some progress on these things. He says, that, that old guy's dead now. You crucified him the day you were baptized. When you put on Christ, you took off that old man. You can't have both. You, you can't have it both ways, can you? It'd, it'd be like dragging a dead man on your back. He says, it doesn't work like that. You've, you've put off these things. This old man, you, you can't be him anymore. You can't be involved with the things that he was once involved with. And you spent a lot of time in those things, didn't you? They did. I did. I bet you did too. Before you came to Christ, you were constantly involved in those things, weren't you? That's a logical way to live life. 
before you came to Christ, you were looking out for, number one, you wanted what you wanted. And what was in your best interest is what you went after day and night, right? That's how our brains function, to look out for ourselves and to get everything that we want. He says, now that that's over, what do you do with all your time? It's a bit like being retired, isn't it? You remember, maybe, maybe you recognize this, maybe this... Uh, is how it went for you. But that first day, if you're retired, that first day of your retirement, what did you do? You kind of sit there and, like, well, now what? You know, I woke up at 5, and it's 5.03, and I don't have to get dressed. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to do anything. So now, now what? Right? You've got to find a way to fill your time. And Paul says, I want to find, I want to tell you how you should be filling your time now. Because you can't fill it doing the things that you used to do. That old life, how you were burning the candle at both ends, how you were constantly involved in getting what you wanted, he says that that's over now. But there's a void, and you got to fill it with something, or what's going to happen to that void? It's going to fill right back in with those old habits. And so what do you do? We're looking at Colossians 3, verse 12. Right after Paul counsels them, Put off these things. Kill this man. Put to death these things. He says to put on something. In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones. God chose you. Did you know that? Does that, does that make you proud? Does that humble you that he chose, that he chose you? It should Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. You're different. You're holy. You're set apart. Set aside for a purpose. What is that purpose? He set you aside for the purpose of knowing Him. For the purpose of making Him known to the entire world. That's our purpose here. You are holy. You don't live this life anymore. Now you're directed Toward him, to transforming into him and to telling everyone you know about him, about how to transform into him. And so he says, You're holy, and oh man, you're loved. Do you feel loved by God? There, there's power in that statement, isn't there? That he loves us. We don't stop and dwell on that as much as we should. But do you remember that first day that your spouse said, Yes, maybe you've been asking him or her out for weeks and they, they finally capitulated. <laughs> you finally annoyed them into getting that first date, right guys? And, and she said yes and what did you feel? Your heart swelled and you're like, yes, right? I'm, I'm loved by God, by the creator of the universe, the one who spoke and stars came out of his mouth, that spoke and worlds were created. He loves me. He loves you. There's power in that thought. And we don't need to go past it too quickly. But for our purposes tonight, we, we kind of have to get past it. Put on then. You put on all this. You put off all these other things. You're different. You're holy. And you're beloved. You're chosen. So you put on compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. We've been talking through a series 
where we're looking at some of the attitudes that Christians ought to have, often we are good at faking it, uh, portraying something to the world that's not necessarily true on the inside. But what does Jesus say about that? You're all, the inside is always going to be borne out by your actions. We're going to know who you are. He already, he already knows. He knows right now whether you fooled the rest of us or not. He, he knows who I am, who you are. But one day, those actions, those attitudes inside of me are going to be on the outside because that's how it works. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks, right? So whatever's going on inside of me will eventually find its way on the outside. And so we need to spend some time working our way through these attitudes that he tells us to put on. These, are, these things are supposed to fill the void that the old man in all of his activity once filled for us. Do you remember that old man? How, how, how hard... You worked for him or her. How thoughtful you were toward him or her for yourself, right? How you much thought you put into making sure that you got what you wanted. How much effort did you put into making sure that you got what you wanted? He says, all of that effort now needs to be directed toward these things. These are the things that you need to spend your time doing now. Oh, now I'm beginning to understand the picture of the life that he's called me to live. It's not just getting dunked in the water. I don't, I don't want to be disrespectful. But if there's no sentiment behind your immersion, the salvation didn't take. Right? So if... You were baptized, but there's no change and there's no, there's no desire to change. There was no thought to change. The salvation didn't take. You haven't done it God's way. He has a word for that. It's called repentance. Right? If I didn't repent, I'm not saved. And so I could, I could be immersed 25 times, but if I never repented, if I never had plans to change, if I never had a desire to change, if I was never planning to put off the old man, it didn't matter how many times I was immersed. Now, I may not see that in you, and the people sitting around you may not see that in you, but God sees it. Putting off this old man of sin. He says, you, you spent all this time working for this guy. Working for yourself. Now, you've got this big void. And you don't know what to do with it. I'm going to tell you what to do with it. You put on compassionate hearts. So what does that mean? That, that's the very first thing that he starts talking about here. What does it mean to have a compassionate heart? He uses a couple of terms uh, for this for this translation, what's been translated for us, compassionate hearts, are a couple different terms in Greek. And in fact, if you've got the one of the older king, uh, one of the older translations, the King James or the ASV, you probably see bowels of mercies there, right? That that's that's uh, 
illustrative of this word. Uh, the, the Greeks and the Romans would, would see um, the, these deepest emotions as coming from our, from our bowels, from our stomach. And so when they wanted to articulate a thought that was um, of deepest sentiment, that this just comes, we would say it comes straight from your heart, right? They didn't think like that. We, we view the deepest emotions as coming from our, from our hearts. They would view it as coming from their stomachs. And so this word literally means from the bowels. Uh, and so that's why the older translations translated it like that. That's why our newer translations translate it compassionate hearts to help get it through our heads. <coughs> Excuse me, what this word is trying to convey to us. Um, let, me, let me give you a couple of times when this word is used. Usually, um, th- this word, uh, compassionate hearts, when he's talking about compassion, uh, it's, a, it's a funny Greek word, um, but it's used exclusively about Jesus and his compassion for people. It's used exclusively uh, of God and his compassion of people. At least this, this one particular word is. It's not the same word that's used here that we're supposed to take on, although it's, it's, it's related. Um, but just, just think with me for a couple of minutes about the times when Jesus had compassion on people. Often, I think we struggle with compassion. Compassion's difficult. Um, we have to let people in to be compassionate. And we struggle with relationships, don't we? We struggle letting people in. We struggle with intimacy and, and close friendships are hard for us. And so compassion is difficult for us. But it was something that Jesus focused on. It was something that Jesus majored in. It was something he was good at. It's at his heart. It's got to be at our heart, too. It's something we've got to work on. We've got to get better at. We've got to focus on. When Jesus in Matthew 9 uh, looks out at the crowd, do you remember what he says in his mind? He doesn't say it out loud, but in his mind, he sees them. They're being beaten and they're harassed. Do you remember how he finishes that thought in his head? Like sheep without a shepherd. Who's doing the assault? It's not other people. It's Satan. And they don't have any kind of defense mechanisms against him. They are completely at his disposal. He's having his way with them. And Jesus is, we would say it like this, wouldn't we? His heart goes out to them. That's how we would phrase that. But the, 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 the Greek, his, his bowels were stirred. His heart went out to them. He had compassion on them. In Luke chapter 7, he's going through a city called Nain. And he, he stops because there's a funeral procession. In his day, funeral processions were loud, noisy affairs. And in ours, you see the, the, the hearse with the lights going and there's a line of cars behind. Maybe they've got their blinkers on. So we, we pull over and show our respect along the side of the road. But in, in his day... Uh, they're, they're noisy affairs, and people were uh, paid to be mourners, and, and, and the, the family would pay a group of people to, to, to weep 
with them just to show what they're feeling on the inside. These people are espousing on the outside. It's a powerful thought, isn't it? Um, but he sees this, this woman, and she's most likely leading the procession. And it's her son that has died. And he tells us a couple things about this lady, and he's Jesus. So he, he just knows this by, by miraculously, I'm assuming, I, I don't, we're not told that anybody tells him this, but it's interesting that Luke records it for us. It's this woman's only son, and she doesn't have a husband. He's died too. She's a widow, and this is her only son that's just died. What's her future look like? Man, it's drab and dreary. A, a long, hard road for the rest of her life until she dies is what this woman's life looks like. She can't support herself, not in the first century. A woman by herself without a son or without a husband, without some sort of male relative to take care of her, was destined for a rough life, a hungry life. She needed someone to take care of her. And so Scripture tells us that Jesus had compassion. His heart went out to her, and he raised the boy, the man. In Matthew chapter 20, he meets two blind men. The Bible tells us that he has compassion on them. He puts his hands on their eyes, and they are healed. In Luke chapter 15... You know this story. It's the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus is telling this story. And, and the father looks on down the lane. And he sees the boy, the, his youngest son, that's left him years ago at this point. Who took his inheritance and ran away with it and did all manner of evil things. He, he's finally coming home. And, and the father's been standing there. We're left to assume every, every evening looking as far as he can into the distance, hoping to see the boy's figure coming. And on this particular day, he sees the boy's figure and he has compassion on him. And he runs out and he wraps him in a big bear hug and he puts the ring on his finger. He tells the servant to kill the fatted calf. That's, that story's about us, isn't it? Jesus left heaven because he had compassion on us because we were like that son living in a far country, killing ourselves and not even knowing it, destined for pain and not even knowing it, not having a way of escape. And so he left heaven to provide that way of escape. Compassion is at his heart. It needs to be at ours as well. We struggle with compassion, though. And I think... <clears throat> there may be some clues in Scripture for how we can be more compassionate. We know we need to do it. It's obvious as you read through the Gospels that Jesus was so compassionate, right? You would have, you would have stood beside him and, and see him cry. When, when Lazarus dies, as a matter of fact, Scripture tells us that, that he did cry. Why in the world is he crying? He knows in about 30 seconds he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Why is he crying? Compassion. It's not hard to see that he has it in spades. It's not hard to see it that we need it. It's hard to have it, though, isn't it? You know those people who drain you, right? 
You know them. They're in your life, and being around them is difficult. The drama that they bring into your life is hard to live with. And so what do we do with those people? I'll tell you what I do with those people. I pull back. Do you do the same thing? You pull back away from them because it's so difficult to live with them, to show compassion for them. You know what Jesus would have done? He would not have pulled back. He would have leaned in. He's compassionate. And so how can we be more compassionate? You've got to allow yourself to see pain. That's not something we're good at. That's one of the reasons we pull back. Um, we, don't, we don't see other people's pain. In fact, their pain, if they're going through a significant enough amount of pain, our, at least my normal reaction is to, to, pull, to pull back, to, to protect myself from their pain so I don't get drawn into it. Do you do the same thing? I think that's a human normal human interaction, but I think he's calling us to be something more than that. He's calling us to be better than that. So we have to see other people's pain. In the story Jesus tells about the Good Samaritan, do you remember what the Levite and the priest do? They cross by on the other side. What do you think, what do you think they're doing there? What, what's Jesus trying to imply to us there? They're distancing themselves physically from this broken and beaten man so they don't have to be so close to him emotionally, right? They cross by on the other side. They're getting physically away from this guy. They're pulling back. They don't want to see his pain because if they see his pain, what's going to happen? They're going to have to get involved. They don't want to get involved because getting involved gets messy, right? Getting involved is difficult and getting involved is going to take it's going to cost you something, isn't it? It's going to take something from you. And these guys don't have anything left to give. The priest and the Levite. It's interesting that as Jesus closes up the story, some guy that has zero reason to invest in this beaten man goes out of his way to make a sacrifice so that he can help him we got to allow ourselves to see other people's pain. we got to fill their shoes. Um, when Jesus is telling a story about uh, the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, this guy has been in the other servant's shoes. Remember the first servant owned, owed a mountain of debt to the king. Um, the king shows compassion on him. Jesus uses that word again in, in, in this story. So the king shows compassion on the original, the first servant and forgives the mountain of debt. And then the, the, the servant, the first servant goes and he finds a servant of his and he, he owes him 20 bucks, a small debt. And he refuses to show compassion, refuses to show mercy. Even though he's been in this guy's shoes, he, he refuses to see himself in those shoes. He refuses to, to fill those shoes. We need to 
be able to put ourselves in other people's shoes, to feel their pain, to see what they're going through. I think, I think that helps us be more compassionate. The last little point I don't have on the screen for you, uh, but it comes from Luke 15. The older brother is not a very compassionate guy, is he? When the younger brother comes, the father is throwing a party for him, and the older brother, <coughs> excuse me, the older brother is out in the field, and if he were to uh, have a picture for us, his arms are folded, and he's got a frown and a scowl on his face. He's mad. He didn't want to come into the party. And in fact, when the father comes out to him and says, Whoa, what's going on? Why aren't you in there? Why aren't you happy? And the young guy has, or the older brother has a chip on his shoulder. He's got some bitterness. He's refusing to forgive. If we want to have compassion, we've got to get rid of bitterness. We've got to get rid of forgiveness. It may not even be directed at the person that we're supposed to be showing compassion toward. But we've got to get rid of that stuff so that we can show compassion, so that we can be this light uh, to people who need help. This evening, if you are one of those people, if you are struggling, we want to aid you in any way we can. If you need to be baptized tonight, to have those sins washed away, to be brand new, to be able to put on all the things that God has told you to put on, to spend your life, what's left of it, with every minute focused on His kingdom and His good. That's what it means to be baptized. That's what the life looks like of a new creation. If you're ready to put that on, we want to aid you in any way we can. If you're struggling tonight and just need the prayers of this congregation, we would love the opportunity to pray with you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing.
Good evening, church family. A couple of announcements before we are dismissed. As a reminder, uh, next Wednesday or this coming Wednesday is Stepping Stone Supper. Barbecue is on the menu. Um, also, we're still needing food um, items for our food pantry. If you can help out with that, uh, please see the Rome Journal or uh, talk to Brian Award. Also, um, don't forget next Sunday, Life Group 1, that's Rick's Life Group, and Life Group 5, that's Mike's Life Group. We're meeting after Sunday services, on uh, after Sunday morning services uh, for lunch. Uh, the Life Group 1 will be meeting in the middle auditorium, and the uh, Life Group 5, that's Mike's Life Group, will be meeting in the far, far art auditorium. Um, also, September 16th, that's Saturday, at 6 o'clock, Life Group 4, that's Jerry's Life Group, will have a potluck dinner at Alan's house, Alan Payne's house, and the address is out in the foyer table. Also, Life Group 2 and Life Group 3, that's Gary and Jeremy's Life Group, will be meeting after uh, Sunday morning services as well for lunch as well on that Sunday. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus in your prayers as he continues his treatments this week. Uh, keep Jim Haney and Tanya, Tanya Shamblin. Uh, keep Judy Jordan in your prayers. She's having procedure done uh, this week. Also, keep uh, Carolyn Lynn in your prayers. Uh, she's doing a lot better. She's still at Cornerstone recovering. Keep John Klein as he's uh, recovering at home uh, from heart surgery. Uh, new update on Jim Martin. Uh, he is at home and will continue to receive in-home rehab twice a week. Um, his liver biopsy came back positive for cancer, but no decisions on treatment will be made until next PET scan in three weeks. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. If you had not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, it has been prepared in the conference room. You may leave and do that now. We'll sing one more song and be, and be dismissed in prayer. Sing one verse of Paradise Valley, 527. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and for all that you have blessed us with, and thank you for giving us the opportunity to come and worship with each other and just learn more about you and take what we've learned from Chris's lesson today and 
use it as we go back to our jobs and school later on this week. And thank you for the elders and deacons and for all the decisions they make for this church. And Lord, be with those who are sick or traveling and just watch over them. And most importantly, thank you for your son, his death on the cross for our sins. Christ's name I pray. Amen.